taking the first few moments of the sitting to check the internal mindscape and how the mind is approaching this practice, whether there's some excitement, boredom, lethargy, or whether there's a easeful presence, just taking the temperature of the mind. <coughs> and then establishing a continuity of awareness on either your chosen primary object, or if you're resting in awareness without choosing an object, and just noticing the predominant experience that calls your attention moment after moment. Often the subtlest of agendas attach themselves to our effort where there's a slight or a subtle expectation that experience will be a certain way or there's a subtle trying to re-experience or reattain some previous meditative experience. Take a look at whether there's any thought of the future in your practice. Or is there a genuine willingness to be present for whatever appears in the body, the mind, or in the environment? Are you placing any demands on your practice? Did it perform for you in some way and deliver the goods? Or is there an acceptance of this is the way it is for now and it can be dealt with, can be known, endured, and understand that it arises due to conditions, it persists for a while, and then it leaves. Do we see the arising? Do we see the dissolution or fading away? Or is this, or is there a sense that or this is the way it's going to be for the whole sitting or the whole retreat. Sometimes that thought or that feeling attaches itself to a momentary perception. And it's something we experience in an instant. And yet there's a tale to it that seems to indicate it will last for a longer period of time. Notice this assumption if it appears in your mind. Or sometimes we have a an assumption that things could be better. Slightly leaning forward, looking for, anticipating, hoping that our mindfulness gets better, or the object is more pleasant, or it's a little easier.
take a look at the mind and see whether there's any expectation or hope, yearning, or somehow a perception that this, as it is right now, somehow isn't good enough. Is that lingering in the mind? Or you may notice that there's an ongoing judgment of how you're doing. Like, I should be able to do better. I have done better in the past. Or, wow, I'm really doing good this morning. Just noticing how much of our experience we claim to be me. Because of me. Or in spite of me. Instead, see if you can settle into the present moment and recognize that conditions are unfolding, giving rise to this moment, often without our choice or preference. It just happens. Can we acknowledge that and accept it? Sometimes in the midst of our practice, we get this idea that we should do things different, that we should shift our posture, that we should open our eyes, that we should try a different technique. And the idea arises quite spontaneously. And if we don't notice it, we'll follow through with adjusting the posture, opening the eyes, trying a different technique, without ever knowing that a decision was made. Notice this impulse in the mind whenever it arises to shift your posture, to swallow, open your eyes, scratch an itch, move to a new or different technique in practice. All of these are an indication of an impulse in the mind, a karmic action about to take place. And we look to see whether it's coming from a place of aversion to something and therefore we're moving away from it, or is it a desire for something and we're moving towards it? What is the motivation to this impulse? Steady your attention and in the stillness of the body and mind, you can sometimes get a glimpse of the impulse before moving, before shifting, before changing object in your practice. You can recognize this as the impulse moment or the about to moment It is the place where karma is created. So it's an important junction in our practice to begin to see when the unfolding of impersonal conditions gives rise to an impulse which we then act on. Or if we see the impulse, we may decide or choose not to act on. But it takes seeing the impulse to know that you have a choice. In all of this, let your practice be as simple as possible, just noticing this is the way it is for now. And let that be good enough.
So, how's it going? The agitation and the annoyance. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What do you think? B, B minus, <laughs> maybe B, yeah. <laughs> you did what you did. And <clears throat> did you hear the questions basically listening to the, cric- listening to the crickets? At first it was pleasant, then it got annoying, then it got really problematic. She got very irritated. She felt very uncomfortable in her body, especially around her arms, just like the irritation kind of lodged in her arm. It seemed like that. And as she kind of moved through her body, she got down to her feet. And the, the heels of her feet were very grounding and very cool, and it didn't, they weren't bothered by the cricket. And uh, so she stayed there and then just kept her attention there. And then eventually the um, irritation with the cricket sound seemed to dissipate and the, the prickly uncomfortableness in the arms was cooling and then the crickets were there and she didn't care. It was okay. So how'd she do? A, B, C. Um, it, in a way, what I hear you saying is you knew you were averse and it wanted, it to, wanted it to go away, wanted to get rid of it. But the crickets didn't hear that, and they were kept. So in your scoping out what else was going on, a kind of investigation, you noticed this this uh, discomfort in the arms, a prickliness in the arms, and you kept moving your attention around, got down past your legs and into your feet, and you felt this groundedness. So it, in a way, it's just being mindful of other object, a kind of investigation. Um, if, if you could have just stayed with the aversion and said, oh, aversion, this is the nature of aversion, you know, it feels this way in the body, it does this in the mind, and, and it may have passed just as quickly or just as, taken just as long. Um, I think the understanding you have of, um, you know, the crickets, the sound, the irritation, the stuff on the arm is a little bit uh, kind of all mixed up in there. It's kind of like 
this is causing that. And um, I, w I wouldn't try to explain why there's this sensations on the arm, why there's this feeling in the, in the heels of the feet. I would just know, oh, this is prickliness. This is unpleasant. I don't like it. This is hearing. It's pleasant. I like it. It's unpleasant. I don't like it. And then here's this feeling in the, in the heel of the foot. Oh, it's feeling very stable. It's pleasant. I like it. Rather than telling yourself a story about all of these things in sequence, which becomes a narrative of my life. But if you just note, oh, prickly, liking, heat, disliking, sound, hearing, like, it's just momentary arisings due to conditions outside of our control. It's not about me. It's just stuff happens. When we tell ourselves a story of how this is related to that and connected to this and because of that and that, then I'm here suffering. But if it's just an impersonal coming together of stuff and there's hearing and I don't like that or there's aversion and... So in how you observe all that, if you clearly see it's something being known, another thing being known, another thing being known, another thing being known. It kind of bypasses the creation of a me. I'm so unhappy that cricket's going in and out. Still, it was good. B. <laughs> That's not bad. That's not bad. If she'd gotten up and stomped out of the room, F. <laughs> <laughs> Did you hear the question? Yeah? <clears throat> I'm not sure I could repeat it, but it's something to do with speaking last night about letting go, and then speaking this morning about watching the arising, persisting, and then the dissolution or the impermanence of things. Uh, let me speak about letting go just briefly. There'll be more about it uh, in uh, later talks. Um, in the Buddha's teachings of the Four Noble Truths, you know, there's the truth of dukkha, which is pain, suffering, all the unhappy making conditions of life. Second Noble Truth is it's caused by craving, caused by clinging, caused by holding on. In order to be free of this dukkha, it requires letting go. Now, some things we can let go of just, you know, as soon as we become aware of it, let go, no problem. Other things like emotional dramas, or, or emotional storms that arise, they arise, and we'd like to say, oh, I, I'll let that go. I'm not going to be angry anymore. <laughs> but can't. So it takes a different, you can't intentionally let go of deeply conditioned habits. It takes training of the mind. Part of that training is stabilizing the mind with samadhi or concentration, collectedness. And that can give you a temporary relief, a form of letting go. But in Vipassana practice, it's when we're able to see the dissolution of a momentary experience that we realize, well, there's really nothing there to hang on to. And that understanding is another form of letting go. But you can only arrive at that level or that depth of letting go through the process of insight. You can't think your way to that. You have to see it. You have to see that this experience of <coughs> excuse me, hearing or unpleasantness or whatever it is, it's there, you're watching it, it's gone. What are you holding on to? Nothing. So we'll talk more about letting go, but that's the brief, the brief tutorial in letting go and the nature of impermanence. Posture, to 
So the comment is about when he followed the instructions and noticed all these little things that you do. I think it's adjust your posture, whatever you do to kind of be comfortable in your in your uh, sitting. Uh, when he when he noticed that and didn't follow through with making the adjustments, it just got uh, you felt like you got a little tight about it, and then you felt kind of like a diluted or a mini panic attack coming. Hmm? Very good. <laughs> Very good. A. A. Why? Why? Well, it is said that as I mentioned, the first noble truth is the truth of dukkha. The reason we don't see dukkha clearly and decisively and insightfully is we keep moving. If you sit still and you really pay attention, you will discover dukkha. Congratulations. Yeah, it's really unpleasant. It's like... It's like that, right? It's like... uh, if you don't, if you're not just moving all the time to just keep one step ahead of the discomfort, then you really see, oh, this, this is really unpleasant. This is really painful. It's dukkha. It's not satisfying. It's, yeah, mm, ah, then, then you realize. Then you, then you get to the point like, what am I going to do about this? Yeah, and keep moving is is great as long as you're young and healthy and energetic. What happens later when you get old like us? Can't move so much. <laughs> oh, you're going to have to just live with it. Yeah? Mm, better, be, better have the understanding that this is the way it is. Uh, really deeply uh, uh, understood then. But in the meantime, you can move. I didn't say don't move. I just said notice the impulse when you're about to. And if you do follow through, oh, that's fine. That's okay. If you think you got to swallow and you, I got to swallow. Oh, you can swallow. Or you think, oh man, I'm I'm, I'm tilted sideways. It's really unpleasant. It's like I, I should straighten up. Nope, no, no, don't don't straighten up. No. It's, it's like it's okay. Straighten up. Just be aware that you're about to, and that you're following through, doing it. It's okay to do all of that, especially try to be comfortable. I say try, but. Don't miss the opportunity of taking note of and recognizing this is really unpleasant, this is really uncomfortable in the mind. It's okay. Wow, there's a lot. Okay. Um, sometimes I had a similar experience. Yeah. So sometimes there's a way of handling pain, I think you said, that sometimes there's a way where it's so uncomfortable that when she breathes in, she says, let, and when she breathes out, she says, go. And does it help you somehow just kind of let it go? If it helps, fine. Yeah, if, there's, if, it, if it brings a kind of momentary relief, it's a form of concentration, collecting the mind and, and then reminding yourself that you can let go sometimes. Um, that, that's fine to do. Yeah. There'll be another time when your teacher will say, you know, let the mantra go, sit there with it. But for today, it's okay that way. Um, we're about out of time, so I want to make a couple of announcements. Um, I noticed that even 45 minutes isn't enough time after the Dharma talk for the, the people that work in the kitchen to get your job done huh? before you come back in here to the metta, at which time we're already finished chanting the metta and you miss out on choir rehearsal. So, beginning this evening, we'll still start the sitting at 9.15, but we'll chant the metta at the end of the sitting. So those who work in the kitchen, they can do all their thing, and they have permission to come to that sitting late, if they need to. Okay? 
You can feel it's a little reminder. When you come in, it wakes us all up out of our stupor, like, oh, oh, yeah, okay, oh, here I am, like that. Thank you <laughs> for doing that. And uh, again, we're doing uh, check-ins today, so please watch the time. Sometimes, um, uh, even though it says 10 minutes, you know, 10 minutes, 10 minutes, 10 minutes, 20 minutes, that person doesn't get 20 minutes. That person only gets 10 minutes, but because everybody else took 12, they really, everybody gets 12, even though we assign you for 10. But the first minute is walking in, the second minute, or the last minute is walking out, so you have eight. Yeah, if you talk for the first seven or eight minutes, all we can say is thank you. <laughs> but if you want to get some advice and some instruction, you better only talk for four minutes. And then we can, then we'll have something to say. We'll have time to say something back. <laughs> this is universal. I mean, everybody needs this instruction, you know. But how are you going to condense 48 hours of, of intense observation of your mind and body into four minutes? That's the skill <laughs> that we're learning here. <laughs> okay. Anything else? Anything else? One, one comment that I forgot to put into the talk last night. Wisdom is the anticipation of consequences. How do we know what the consequences will be? Well, because we've observed it before. We've seen, you do this, this is the result. You do that, you say this, you act like this, this is the result. Wisdom is when we really can anticipate those consequences and choose wisely. Kamala found this um, sutta laying on my desk this morning, and she said, oh, you, you should read this to the yogis. This is, this is really good. It's, um, so I'm going to just read a little excerpt. I'm going to cut and, and paste a bit. Yeah, the monk, uh, the, the Buddha was speaking to some monks about karma and the consequences of certain actions. So he said, <clears throat> Monks, the taking of life, when indulged in, developed, and pursued, has as its result, when one becomes a human being, one will have a short lifespan. Okay. Stealing, when indulged in, developed, and pursued, the slightest result of it, the, the minimum that you're going to get in return, so to speak, is... When born as a human, it will lead to loss of one's wealth. Hmm. Now, why is this important? I'm going to read a few more, but why is this important? You know all those people on Wall Street that we blame for the loss of our wealth? Here's another view. Blaming is not particularly skilled. I mean, sure, they were a condition too, but nevertheless, we may have some karmic action returning a result to us in the form of loss of our wealth. <clears throat> Illicit sexual behavior when indulged in, developed, and pursued, if uh, the, the, the minimum result that one will, can expect <coughs> when one becomes a human being is that it leads to rivalry and revenge. Hmm. You engaged in rivalry and revenge? Hmm. Telling falsehood when indulged in, developed, and pursued the minimum, um, I've got to come up with a new phrase, the minimum karmic result of it, yeah. The minimum karmic result of it is when one becomes a human being that one will be falsely accused. Divisive tail-bearing when indulged in, developed, and pursued the minimum karmic result when one becomes a human being is that your friendships will be broken up. Harsh speech when indulged in, developed, and pursued, the minimum karmic result to uh, expect when one becomes a human is that you'll have to listen to unappealing sounds. <laughs> so don't go to Burma. <laughs> 
Friv frivolous chatter, you know, meaningless, uh, nonsensical talk, frivolous chatter, when indulged in, developed, and pursued, the minimum karmic result to, to expect when born, when one becomes a human, is that you'll have to listen to words that aren't worth taking to heart. The drinking... This one caught my attention. The, the drinking of fermented and distilled liquors. Not that I, you know, I mean, a glass of wine here or there, but the drinking of dis, fermented and distilled liquors when indulged in, indulged in, developed and pursued, and not just a, a glass, but indulged in, <laughs> indulged in, developed and pursued, self-justifying. Is <laughs> the minimum, the minimum karmic result to expect when one becomes a human being, it leads to mental derangement. <laughs> wow, that really caught my attention. It's like it is so hard to be clear and mentally underanged. I, I don't want to encourage that in any future of my life. That's like. Baddie. Mm. Mental derangement? How are you going to hear the Dharma and practice in real life? Oh my goodness. Anyway, this is what the Buddha said. I'm not saying it. This is what the Buddha said. <clears throat> you don't have to believe it at your own peril. <laughs> or, or, as, or as Menindra would say, you, you don't have to believe it. It's true, but you don't have to believe it. So oh, have a great day. <laughs> Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.